Is it piece of chain? Or Tao Te Ching? It's the Arrow Wong podcast series. The number one Apple business and number four entrepreneurship podcast. Speaking from Hong Kong. This episode is a very interesting conversation because Kylan Cooper is a very interesting person. Actually, I should say a very interesting scientist. Academic research on science is always a topic I would love to know more, especially on the field of data science, neuroscience, collective science, and AI. Because of the massive value, it could be added into the business the real world we are living in. Kylan unveils the mystery of this scientific laboratory. He's going to tell us how he starts a project, how he executes the project, how he constructs the environment, and even how he does the hands-on program to gather the data set that he leads. The nutshell is something you would never know unless there's a professional scientist tells you all about this. Kyler Cooper is a neuroscience research associate at the Center for the Neurobiology of Learning and Memory at UC Irvine. He's got a Bachelor of Science in Collective Science, Neuroscience, Computer Science from Indiana University, Bloomington, an MBA from Conte School of Business and Technology, and he's studying a PhD of neuroscience. Last but not least, he is also the co-founder of Continual AI, one of the largest global artificial intelligence research non-profit spanning academia and industry. Without further ado, let's explore science together with Kylan Cooper. Welcome to the show, Kylan. Hi, great to be here. Uh, I just told you, hi, really, I, I find your work really interesting. And I'm not the expert, but you are the expert. Uh, <laughs> I try to uh, no, uh, uh, you are really expected. I I can tell from from the homepage. You you've written some code. Uh, my word equal an array. I believe it's Python or something else. Uh, with an array of four string collective science, neural science, AI, and data science. And you are also the neural science research associate at UC Irvine. Erfai and the co-founder of Continual AI. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Uh, can you uh, maybe to kick off this whole episode? Can you give us an overview of your research experience, starting with the year two thousand and fifteen? I believe that might be the good point to start with, or you can start any particular yeah. time. Yeah, it's yours. Yeah. Mm. So I I started undergrad and. I, I kind of knew what I was really interested in. So I was really interested in neuroscience and I was really interested in, in artificial intelligence. Um, but I really didn't know at that time, I was just starting as an undergrad, like how to get involved in research and or even what research was at that point. And I was really lucky that um, one of my professors kind of picked up on, on that curiosity that I had and kind of guided me and working with other professors and working in research labs and um, really getting not only to be a, a very big consumer of science and data uh, science and computer science and neuroscience, um, but when, even a producer. Uh, when you were in Indiana University. I was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. um, yeah. So I, I studied at IU. Um, I studied neuroscience and cognitive science, and I did psychology and computer science kind of as minors and specializations. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I dove headfirst into research. Um, mostly neuroscience research is what, what I started with. Um, mm -hmm. But my, my kind of brand of neuroscience really took a lot of code, and it was computation heavy. 
Um, oh. So I analyzed a lot of um, big data sets, um, not alongside also, um, you know, designing neuroscience experiments and getting my hands dirty with like biology and that kind of stuff. Um, and then along the way, I, I got more and more interested. My major kind of gave me the theory of, of AI, and then I started to get more and more interested in actually trying to, to work with AI. Um, so I worked with another research lab um, where mm -hmm. we were interested in large language models. Um, at the time, the, the, the state of the art was Word2Vec, and so we were, we were looking at um, Google's Word2Vec algorithm and kind of using it as um, comparing it to some of the, the cognitive science algorithms mm -hmm. at the time and like mathematical psychology and that sort of thing. Um, and we were particularly interested in a mm -hmm. problem that we saw in these models where um, you train it on one data set. So say it reads, I don't know, a corpus of text, or we could just think of it like a book. Um, mm -hmm. And it learns the, the associations in that book really well. Um, but then you want to take that and you want to train it not just on one book, you want to train it on multiple books, right? Oh. Um, and we found that as it kept reading books, it would only remember the most recent text mm -hmm. that it had read, and it kept forgetting um, the, the previous text. Um, this wasn't a new problem. It had been discussed decades prior, um, called catastrophic forgetting in neural networks. Um, but we really kind of honed in on and, and really kind of quantified that problem in the, the, the context of semantic um, mm. neural network models. Um, and so we did, and I presented this at, at a conference and did really well. Um, and I think after I left, someone kind of built on that work and even published it. Um, mm. But that was kind of my first experience with um, artificial intelligence and actually mm. seeing how it's like what these problems are with artificial intelligence. And it was really close to what I was doing in neuroscience. Um, and then after that, I got in touch with other people who are working on some similar problems, and we ended up starting uh, continual AI, the, the research nonprofit. Got it. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I really want to touch base with you uh, and uh, tip your brain is uh, I'm always interested in the academic research about uh, the uh, data science, AI, uh, these kind of things because uh, when I was working in the video streaming company, uh, I worked with the CTO, CTO directly and he is a very technical guy and he graduated from IC uh, with an EE and some other people graduated like from MIT and they, they uh, but I was working at a video streaming company but on the side they will read some book about neuroscience and neural technology this kind of thing when but when I read that book <laughs> what the fuck? I don't understand it. <laughs> but uh, it triggers my interest a lot. I just find the knowledge space out there, uh, outside yeah. of the business domain, is very, very big. And uh, but you know, I'm working in a company. We have we are a business. We have uh, we have promises to the client. So I can just focus on deliver. Uh, but now, uh, so I use this podcast as a excuses for me to nurture my curiosity to ask yeah, a bunch yeah. of these questions. <laughs> uh, so you you are also studying now, wow, doctor of philosophy, uh, as a, a new in, uh, as neuroscience at UC yeah, Irvine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the current work, can you 
give us just give me i'm being selfish for this episode <laughs> a, a different look for the foreign projects and briefly talk about how what continual ai is say like building tools to ai research law spatial sequence and processes and eleven. Oh, i don't even understand oh, this terminology please explain <laughs> it to me i really want to know <laughs> educate me <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so so I'll start with you, with like the first half, yeah. I think, of your question. Um, so uh, the work I do now at, at UCI oh, okay. is um, pretty similar to the types of re neuroscience research I did in undergrad, um, where you were talking about like brain-computer interfacing. And I, I work on uh, something similar to that, um, mm -hmm. uh, except we use animals because uh, ah. people generally don't like their their heads, you know opened up and we don't get a lot of people volunteering is, is um, that the technology Elon Musk is building uh, with Luo link yeah so it's similar in principle um mm. uh ours works unlike uh. <laughs> <laughs> no I, uh. they, they have some really good engineering over there mm. um I think they might be a little bit ambitious in terms of their claims that they're making uh. I don't I don't think the evidence yet substantiates some of the claims um, but a lot of the engineers that they've hired are people from university who do have really good track records. So wow. uh, I think it just remains to be seen. They have really good potential, but I think they're really trying to hit the PR before they they actually have some evidence. But anyway, well, um, tell tell me more about your perspective because uh, uh, from the outside they are really. Mm, making a lot of noise but I, i'm just wondering what what's happening behind the scene and i i want to know your perspective what's the actual deferment behind the scene of uh like neuroscience research or, or uh yeah you just talk about Elon Musk of the neural link and then you uh maybe it is a lot of pr things uh happening oh i mean i yeah. don't i don't know exactly i'm just saying they're they're making a really big deal. I mean, I'm certainly not the only one who thinks this. A lot of neuroscientists have been very way more vocal than I have, or mm -hmm. a lot more pessimistic, I think, than I am um, <laughs> about some of the claims that they make. Um, I think in terms of the technology that they have, it's actually really impressive. So, like, the they they have this robot that you can take the animal and it'll automatically insert the mm -hmm. uh, electrodes into the brain. I think that I think. Engineering-wise, that's really impressive. Although a lot of the technology was kind of developed before Neuralink took it in. I think Neuralink just had a little bit more funding to polish it and miniaturize it and make it a little bit better. But the the core technology mm. for most of the things that they've had have existed for a long time. Um, oh, interesting. But, but I think the issue that they're going to run into, which mm. I think most people do when they enter neuroscience, is they see a lot of the progress that we've made in certain areas of neuroscience mm -hmm. and they think that wow they've made so much progress in that area therefore this other area should be just as easy and that is not the case at all so like it's it's let me put it, it's really 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 difficult to mm -hmm. record from the part of the brain that controls like arm movements and control a robotic arm that's really really difficult but mm. we're getting close to doing that but oh. it is light years more difficult to record from say like a memory region in the brain 
and uh -huh. try and understand what a memory is or record from try and say you're going to cure addiction with this or or these more cognitive feats that the brain does mostly because we don't know how they work yet um, mm. we have a pretty good understanding how some of the periphery works so like the sensory regions and the motor region and that's why we have some progress there and so i think i think they're they they see the progress in those areas and they think oh. okay well, well we can just reapply that to these other you know facets um mm. But it's going to be hard, I think. Um, but anyway, who knows? Uh, if if I would love to be proven wrong, I would love to, to, to see. I mean, I don't care who makes progress. It, anyone can if 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 it works and it's rigorous and it's true. I don't care. I'm not competitive. I just want to see it be done. Um, but, but I don't. I think a lot of the claims that they're that they say they're going to do. Um, I think it's going to be tricky. Uh -huh. tricky. What, what do you mean by tricky or unrealistic? Uh, yeah, what do you mean by tricky? What, what, I mean, what, uh, I mean, uh, it, specify the game that you think are tricky. Which yeah, which game is tricky? Well, like I'm saying, like 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 they say, like oh, we're gonna stream music into the brain, and that actually might be somewhat reasonable, um, mm -hmm. depending on how you do it, because we know pretty pretty well where like the auditory regions are, and so you can kind of emulate that somewhat. Um, another issue too is that it, it's far easier to to read information out of the brain because all you have to do is listen mm -hmm. um, than it is to put information into the brain, um, oh. which requires stimulating and not just stimulating, um, but but you have to stimulate in the right way at the right voltage and without damaging, and you have to stimulate the right cells at the right time, right? It's a, it's far trickier to to do that. Oh. Just like, I mean, I guess you could say it's easier to listen to a piano being played than to play the piano, right? <laughs> so I think sense. that's something too that that kind of gets misconstrued because you think like, oh yeah, we can we can read neural activity. It must be easy to like put mm. information in, and, and that that is not the case. Um, Actually, I always have a question about our brain. Uh, say, say the kind of your brain and my brain. We are both human be human being as a species. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, yes. Uh, we both have a brain, but uh, the, there must be some uh differences between your brain and my brain. How can I just say like plug an interface on, on, on my head and then send some signal into it? Uh, yeah. because. Uh, we cannot just do that. How how do we handle that that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, the 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 brain is largely conserved, not yeah. only across people, so you and I, mm -hmm. um, but really across most mammals. Um, so mm -hmm. so if you look at say like. A dolphin brain versus a human brain versus a rat brain versus a cat brain versus a goat brain, right? Like the, the mammals, mm. they're certainly going to be different sizes and they're going to be, you know, different layers. If you, you know, the brain's kind of this wrinkly thing and depending on the size, it, some will be more, right? So there's going to be some, some slight differences in that case. Mm. But what's remarkable actually is that evolution is really lazy. And the, the vast majority of uh. the organization of most mammal brains uh. 
um, is really, really heavily conserved. And so that, that extends to between people. Um, so yeah, certainly no two brains are alike um, between people. But broadly, they are very, very similar. So the frontal cortex is really important for decision making and you know future planning and uh, inhibiting actions. The back of the head is mostly required for vision and visual information. The sides, kind of like beneath your ears, some's auditory, but a lot of it's memory. Um, the the top strip above your head is really important for like movements, and it actually has a map of your entire body on it. Mm -hmm. Deep inside, you have you know lower circuitry for like controlling your body functions and um, mm -hmm. your you know hormones and glands and heart rate and all that kind of stuff, right? Like broadly and generally, the the structure of the brain is pretty conserved. Now there's going to be differences. Um, one of my mm -hmm. favorite is uh, they looked at say like professional violin players versus non-professional violin players. Hmm. And the, the little strip of your brain that has a map of your hands that kind of controls how your, your hands move, um, hmm. it's a lot larger in violin players. And, and also the part of the brain that connects kind of the two halves together is larger, right? Because they, they have more dexterity in their fingers and they, hmm. they, they have more, um, you, they kind of require some more resources to do the things they do. Um, same for, uh, there's a famous study, there's a part of the brain called the hippocampus that I actually uh -huh. personally study very, very, that's the, the main focus of my work right now is on the hippocampus. Um, and there was a really famous study where they looked at taxi drivers mm -hmm. who had memorized like a lot of spatial layouts and they, they had this a bunch of different maps in their head and they had really good memory. And they showed uh -huh. the hippocampus was bigger in that subgroup of people than some of the other people. Now, they're, they're, you know, it does that really mean that they're okay. memories of other things or so on. But but it goes to show that like your the structure is defined by like you and not only you as an individual, but you as you see yourself as like your hobbies and your work and um, you know how you use your brain personally mm. um, does kind of leave a lasting imprint on it and and change it in a in an interesting way. Can you elaborate on this bit a little bit more? Uh, the the actual work that you are working now, the spatial layout. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I have, because I just want to know. Um, it seems like to me, it, uh, what you're doing is a mystery. Because uh, from a outsider perspective, uh, you yeah, uh, I, I, you might imagine you are writing a uh, you are wearing a white coat with mask on and uh, doing some uh, ice, uh, Albert Einstein scientist thing. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening in your environment? Can you explain, paint a picture for us? Uh, yeah, no, that's awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think I have one of the best jobs in the world because I, I get paid so. to basically show up um and and basically just work on what i think is is most important that day um and, and for me what i i like the most about uh, at least the neuroscience side of my work is that it's it's really varied in the types of activities that we do um so we so so we often joke that that a, a science lab is really like a startup um because oh, it's a small team that really you do everything yourself you don't I mean, some bigger labs can sometimes dissociate, but like I will one day be building, um, right now we're building new um, 
large automated uh, rodent training rigs that will like train the rodents for us and we're like programming arduinos and raspberry pis oh, and wow. computers to like run these kind of um they're like little like micro circuits that just flash lights and present odors and right so it's like hands-on engineering style stuff um mm. that an engineer would probably look at and be like wow that's a nice product but um I, but I another day, yeah another day i could be under a microscope actually looking at neurons um oh. in the brain um another day i could be writing um, there's a lot of writing in science where we share what we we've learned um I'll be an illustrator designing figures and schematics and that kind of stuff. Um, for me personally, most of my time mm. arguably is spent coding. Um, so so I, uh, once you collect oh. all that neuroscience data and um, you've, you've done your experiments and you've recorded the activity from the brain in the lab, um, it's, a, it's a lot of work to, to analyze it. Um, so I do a lot of machine learning and a lot of data science just to, to understand what the, the neural activity is doing. Um, how, how large is your team? It is a lot of work. You, uh, you just mentioned, oh, I spent, I spent a lot of time coding. Uh, but are you building data pipeline? Are you building the data warehouse and pulling all the data into one space? What exactly? You know, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it really it, it varies. Um, uh. An example is actually just today we got a new server that I'm kind of excited about. So I got to play with some server hardware um, that hopefully, because our data, our, it's about 100 gigabytes every oh. 20 minutes um, of, of neural data because um, we just upgraded some, some equipment. So now we have a, a bigger data set. Um, so we're upgrading some of our like hardware that can support, you know, reading 100 gigs every hour, 20 minutes oh. off. Um, and then there's a lot of pre-processing in that because these are just raw. What we do is you implant a wire into the brain mm -hmm. and that's recording basically just a raw little squiggle trace of electrical activity. Oh. Um, and so there's a lot of pre-processing that goes in that takes this kind of time series and extracts out when the neurons fired, what oh. the different frequencies are of the, the, the rhythms that the brain basically uses. Um, and then once you, once you have it, packaged and pre-processed in the right way um, then what you are left with um, is just a pattern almost of just ones and zeros of did this neuron fire or did this neuron not fire um, oh. and so that's when you start pulling in um, nowadays and especially in our lab because we we work mm -hmm. really closely with statisticians and computer scientists um, we've been implementing a lot of machine learning algorithms um, to 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 try and make that process a little easier. Because prior it was it was more rigorous, like hand-defined statistics that people would use. And there was a lot of approaches. Machine learning's made it a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. you, you ultimately will get to the same results a lot of time, but you get cleaner results with machine learning, I think. Um, in our, our most recent work, that's what we showed is that, and also in, in our case, mm. the, the type of science we do, um, some of the older analytical approaches, mm -hmm they wouldn't work with our our questions and our data, um, which also kind of invoked the need to, to develop new methods and to use machine learning um, to, to try and address those specific questions. Got it. Uh, the, the question I want to ask is, uh, how does all the operation works? Uh, because uh, I'm comparing my uh, 
because I, I have very limited experience with uh, data science. I used to work with some data scientists in my previous jobs as a product manager. And then, but it is commercial environment, right? And then uh, say like, if I wanna, uh, uh, the company wanna has a certain types of data sets, either from internal or external, we maybe we pull it from the uh, production database or we uh, capture uh, the external data from outside into our environment but uh in your environment uh it is academic and then uh the university trust you uh and you have the full autonomy oh so kylan uh, today i wanna uh do this project because i think i know uh, i'm gonna make scientific uh breakthrough uh from this project really so how does the operation work uh when you have a project idea hey maybe i have to pull some data where does it come from yeah so so usually if you have a question and if you're really lucky and in today's world there's a big push in in neuroscience to share your data openly so so like we just recorded a bunch of data we did a whole analysis on it we found our we found what we find is kind of the key results um, but we're going to share this publicly because someone else might want to look at something else that we didn't look at mm. um, like i said we, we have big data sets and so there's a lot of questions oh. that could be asked mm. um, so so if you're lucky and especially as time goes on as more labs are doing this you might be lucky and that data might already be there um, mm. so you might be able to find say say you want a human data set where people watched movies in an fmri machine that's you can wow. easily find that data set online. Um, if for whatever reason you have a very specific question you want to mm -hmm. answer and you can't find that data set, then you have to start thinking, okay, well, I really want to know this. Um, I'm going to have to design my own experiment and I'm going to have to collect that data myself, mm -hmm. which is really the more standard way of how, how people did it in the past. It's just every time you had a, a new question, you would design an experiment. Um, usually to you'll know it's a good idea because before then you would have applied to funding whether it's like a government agency or a private agency and you would have kind of written this idea out and they would have given you however much money you think you need to to undergo this experiment or sometimes universities will give you smaller amounts to get you started and 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 they'll see um but generally, if you know, if you think it's a good idea and you have some funding for some of your other work mm -hmm. and everything checks out, you can just do your experiment and you have you, you know, you might need to build things. So like for my work, I have to build some new equipment to 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 ask the questions I need. And um, some things are necessitated. So if I'm curious how two brain regions talk together, um, wow. I have to record from both regions. Um, but other things are just I'm building because it makes my life easier. So like this mm. automated training thing, I, I don't need, it doesn't really need to be automated. I could just mm. spend all my time doing it myself, but time is valuable. And so I might as well just put a little bit of time now, automate as much as I can, and then um, save time later. Um, I like to program things. And so I might as well just program <laughs> the rodent behavior, right? Um, mm. So yeah, so that's that's usually the the calculus nowadays that you kind of do in your head is if if I if the data is there, that's awesome. I can just jump in and start analyzing it and asking my questions directly in, at the data. Uh, but if not, then you go collect it. And I, and I don't I don't think that's different from like a business 
a business mm. setting either. Um, you know, if you're a real estate agent and you're curious what housing prices are in like the area, you might get lucky and there might be a data set you can either buy or you know, uh -huh. could be freely available. Um, but, or if you're, you know, a restauranter and you're curious, I don't know, what's a good restaurant question? Um, mm. How many people, what the tipping rate is for people? Mm. I don't know. We just like we're curious when people tip the most or which of your staff gets the most tips you could make that your own data collection and just say hey we're implementing a new policy where you tell us how much you're getting tipped um and then you could hire data science sit down look at the tip rates and be like oh yeah people who sit near the windows tip more than people who sit in the back because they have a better view in the back. yeah i don't know i don't know what you could find but um but but yeah in a business use case it's really not that different um I, I would say than, than science if 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 upper management thinks that this data set would be important um you would hire you would tell your team either find this data set or collect it um tell your web dev team to a b test the website and and see what you find or which ads are getting the most clicks or, or so on and so forth got it so i can really think of it uh it is just like a startup <laughs> Yeah, I, I, so I, yeah. Nowadays, science labs really are like startups. I, I, <laughs> I think so, um, which is fun because you do yeah. everything, but it's also stressful because you do everything. <laughs> Got it. Uh, I want to ask you about how do you use data to improve lifestyle and productivity? Uh, because I, I've seen some work that you have done, and you just do it for yourself because. Yeah, I'm back to the audiences. <laughs> uh, this question, uh, they care about a lot because they care about their personal productivity. So how do you use data to improve your own lifestyle and productivity? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I love analyzing data. I, I, I just think it's the coolest thing in the world. Like nowadays, like you can just run a Python script in 10 minutes and you can know something that, that you didn't know before about the world or yourself. Um, so I uh, there, there's kind of a, a new movement, the the quantified self movement, which which a lot of companies are hop, like Fitbits out there and all your GPS data is out there and and everything. And so I've um, Be very I've cool. been inspired by by a lot of of people kind of doing these sorts of things and and also kind of by being in academia, I'm I'm surrounded by um, the ability to do studies, and so I can I know a lot of people who have the equipment to do things. So I like I've had my brain scanned. A bunch of times so i have like almost every year i have a scan of my brain so i could sit down and see actually how my brain is changing over time um, wow i have my genome is sequenced so i uh -huh. know um every gene in my body and so i can see oh, seriously wow <laughs> yeah, I, so I, I get really nerdy about that kind of stuff. Um, I've been working like like for years, so I know like my heart rates and sleeping schedule and cycles and um, when I'm more likely to get to sleep, when I'm less likely to get sleep. What's the relationship between like a good night's sleep and my heart rate? Um, when is my resting heart rate lower? I, I found out that like my body has certain like heart rate cycles over like a month span. Um, oh. So yeah, I, I I have a lot of data, and actually, what I I have a, a, more data about myself than I actually have time right now to actually sit down and <laughs> analyze. Um, but but yeah, one day one day I I, I will. I, I think it'd be a really fun project of like integrating a whole bunch of 
um, you know, oh. multimodal data and, and, you know, relate my GPS data to my heart rate data, oh. to my sleep data, to my weight data, and maybe like a regression model or something and see, um, can I, can I find something, you know, so, about myself so, I didn't know before. <laughs> so, so these programs are, are, are still in one time capturing data from you, right? For, yeah, I mean, moment. it depends. Oh. Yeah, it depends on the source. So, like, oh. I have a Fitbit because Fitbits are had one of the better heart rate trackers, I think, at the time. I don't know what it is now, but I just stuck with it. Um, so, some things are continuous. Um, I don't take my weight every day. I, I there was a period of time where I was doing daily weight check-ins, but it, my weight doesn't fluctuate at all, really. Uh -huh. So it's kind of boring. Um, <laughs> Um, sleep I get pretty much every day in, in terms of this. Um, some other the medical stuff is more intermittent. Like I said, my brain scans only about once a year just because it's hard to get MRI time. Uh -huh. um, same with like blood testing. That's only about every six months or every year I can get, say, like a blood test um, to relate to things. Um, so, yeah, it, it depends. And it depends on like which things. It, I, I found probably the most important thing I found is it is always better to automate like personal data collection than not to because almost every time i've tried to like sit down and like journal something like what food did i eat today or like uh -huh. all or like what was my mood to like all of those kind of things that i've tried to like manually track myself almost all of them fail just in the yes. sense that like, i just stopped doing them um, the ones that worked best are the ones that just happen. Like, um, like my, I have my own GPS app on the phone that just kind of tracks where I go. Um, wow. you know, all the companies are going to have my GPS data. I might as well have my GPS data too. Right? <laughs> um, so like though, those are awesome because you know, you turn them on and you only have to worry about them when they either break in uh -huh. six months or, um, when Android updates and you have to like reconfigure it because some Android permission doesn't let you do something. But but yeah, most of most of it is 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 automated, and those are the best ways. Um, so take note, all of the health companies, because oh. that's the best way to to get. <laughs> How many programs are running in parallel uh, at this moment? Just analyzing your you. Um, I made a list. I think. The, the total list of like data sources was like 20 or 23 or something like that. It kind mm. of varies. Um, and like I said, of those kind of, you know, markers, um, they kind of vary on when. Um, so I've like automated, but so like when I, 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 like I said, I work most of my times on the computer nowadays, unless I'm like in the lab doing something. So I have like scripts that'll like say what programs I was using and when and for how long and that kind of stuff. And so I could go back and say like, oh, well, I spent, you know, at this month, I spent most of my time coding or I spent most of my time, you know, oh. writing papers or I spent most of my time like, um, you know, in some other esoteric software or something like that. Um, yeah. Very, you are a very interesting guy. Do you like Tim Ferriss? He's yeah, Tim Ferriss is cool. Yeah. I, yeah I like he's, he, he's kind of... I think he's the same kind of flirt like you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except he he wrote a book about it. So he uh, he wrote the what is it the four hour body? I think uh, that is 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 exercise in that. Um, yeah, I, I think that that kind of you know I'm curious. I mean, it's just like you know applying science to your own life and 
trying to trying to change yourself and learn about yourself. You know, it's it's useful to know. Um, and hopefully one day the you know medical will catch up to that. And because I'm really excited for the day when when all of these kind of you know data science and medicine comes together and in a way where we can really have kind of this individualized um, mm. healthcare approach. And it's preventative, right? Where like you know what your predisposition is to certain diseases because we have really good genetic data and it's cheap to get genetic data. And we have kind of your lifestyle data points because everyone has like an Apple watch and a heart rate. Um, mm. And critically, you know, it's all cheap and it's mm. not like an exorbitant cost to people. Mm. Um, and that, that, that healthcare staff will be trained to mm. to think of you know not only am I just going to listen to your symptoms but I'm also going to take into account like yeah you know this last month you haven't been sleeping very well um, mm. or you know you have this predisposition towards this type of disease or you're you know you're more likely to gain weight because you can't process cholesterol the right way because you have this genetic abnormality right like like this kind of individualized approach which honestly will probably be software driven in the future but um i think we're we're kind of at the cusp of a lot of people trying to figure out how how all that's going to fit together and work and in in a rigorous and healthy and you know like safe mm. way and fda approved way um mm -hmm. and and also in a cost efficient way because it's not cheap to do that by no means exactly so. uh i think to end this episode uh is there any message you would like to share with the audience uh, from the scientist perspective uh, about data science, neuroscience, qualitative science, and artificial intelligence? Because the context is I always talk to people about these topics from the business perspective, but I really want to just have a perspective um, purely from the academic uh, because um, uh, I... Uh, my perspective is uh i think business and science uh overlap sometimes but uh when we when these two topics are separate uh the ideal outcome will be different so i want to know your perspective about it yeah i i mean that's what i was gonna say actually um mm. i i think the overlap is mm. far bigger than i think people give credit for um, and certainly oh. it's going to depend on i mean if you just say business and science it's really broad and so you know some aspects of business are i mean industries and sectors are going to be very different than subfields and disciplines and you know but i mean like generally almost any company at some point is going to be sitting in a board meeting and they're going to be asking questions about the company or about their competitors or about you know their customers oh. or their partner right and I think any time you're sitting there and you are posing a question, at that very moment, the second you try and figure out how am I going to find an answer to that question, you are immediately invoking some vague form of science. Mm -hmm. um, you know, academic science is usually very disciplined and more rigorous, and mm -hmm. um, there are you know protocols and things that we do to to make sure that our answers that we get are right and even when they're not right they're hotly debated and but but mm. i mean that's no different than a boardroom right so i mean like if you're in the company and you're asking the question and you assign some team to mm. to analyze some find collected data set and find the answer to whatever business question that you have 
Mm. For the most part, that that's usually a scientific question, as long as it's rigorous and they mm. the team could come back to the board and say, this is what we found and put up their little PowerPoint presentation and say, this is what we found, this is our recommendation of what you guys should do. And you know, they could be debated there. And I, I, I really think that's not that different at all from what we do in science. Um, we we have our question, we go to the lab, we collect our data, we analyze our data, we publish the paper, it gets reviewed by other people. Um, and some people will agree, some people won't, and some people will try and disprove it over and over again. And if it you know proves true, it'll last. And if it gets disproven, it won't. And usually mm. every time that process happened, a thousand more questions blossom out of it. Um, really no different than business, I, I think. Um, what product would be the best for this niche. Let's try and find out. I mean, a lot of times they have A-B testing and uh, you're, you're, uh, you, you hire a group of outside individuals to come in and, and see which one likes the product better and get feedback and science is everywhere. And just, just if you, just because you're in, you know, office building versus a university building mm. really doesn't mean you're, you're not doing it. Um, the big difference I guess is, Business really doesn't want to share it, <laughs> and, and, and I think there should be a little bit more of that. But you know, fair enough. Uh, I like your question, and thank you so much for being on our show for this episode. I would like to say, inside, uh, look inside the head of a scientist. Maybe yeah. something like that. <laughs> so thank no, you. Thank you for asking awesome questions. These were awesome questions, and I'm I'm glad I could hopefully. Give you more questions to, to think about and, and ask in the future. Yeah, I hope that we can do it some other time. Please, please, it'd be fun. Yeah, so thank you again uh, for the audiences until next time.